Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episodes 7 and 8, A Clone Conspiracy. All that more with myself, normal guest Aaron McGowan, and returning guest written in the Star Wars, Danielle S. Right after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I use they, them pronouns. I'm joined, as always, on The Bad Batch by one Lady Tano, Aaron McGowan. Aaron, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm really sleepy. Mm-hmm. I worked a long day yesterday, and I watched Clone Conspiracy, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm caught up, I'm good to record. And then I went to watch it a second time today, and I was like, what is this truth and consequences? There's another episode? <laughs> so I barely got it in before the podcast. <laughs> Gotcha. Got, yeah, I'm glad we cleared that up because, yeah, I I think I'm just all over social media on this. So I kept seeing people talk about it or else I might well have been like, OK, that's the episode. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and also joining us is Danielle of Written in the Star Wars. Danielle is a returning guest. She's been on to talk about uh, Andor and other kind of Star Wars stuff. And I know she is first and foremost a clone enthusiast. And so, Danielle, uh, it's so good to have you back. How are you doing? And just before we dive into the episodes themselves, how are you feeling about The Bad Batch overall? I am really enjoying it. Uh, I think that it's a good continuation of season one, and they're taking the story in interesting ways, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm having a fun time watching it. Nice. Now, I, it, it should be told, you are not watching it at the same time as us mere mortals, I believe. You have ascended <laughs> into a higher level of fandom, is that correct? For this time, yeah. I was fortunate um, that Temple of Geek invited me to be a contributor for their Bad Batch uh, contributions. And that meant that I got to watch the first 14 episodes back in December. So awesome. I've had to uh, keep my mouth shut about a lot of things. And <laughs> that's oh been difficult, God. but I'm very so thankful. jealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your dedication to the no spoilers, but then the like, okay, the minute it goes live, you're going to talk about it is greatly appreciated. So, what? Well, and let's just talk more about kind of the show itself because I, I've been finding I liked season one. I'm finding though that this season especially is just taking things to a whole new level in terms of what we're learning about the individual characters, but also the way they're using this story as a way to really explore the early years of the Empire. Um, what, what are you kind of finding you're enjoying about, or, or not enjoying, or how, how you're feeling about like how this show has been a picture into the wider world of Star Wars? I think that it's it's interesting because the focus is clones for this. That's, that's the right. purpose. And I think especially after episodes seven and eight, it's become clear that this is about clones' lives after Order 66. Whether they're in the Empire, whether they've escaped, it's about mm-hmm. how they're handling that and how they're dealing with everything after the choices that they make once they know what's happened. Right. And um, with that in mind, it's interesting that it's explored so much more than just clones. It's seen mm-hmm. how they interact with people throughout the galaxy, whether it's a Jedi like Gunji or uh, just regular people, a pirate like Fee. Uh, it's really do- dove into how how other people are dealing with this and what maybe their lives could look like if they were able to get away from their duties. Yeah, I totally agree, especially with, you know, I, I'm a West Wing nut. I love political intrigue. I love getting, like, I, I wanted the prequels to be much more sort of the inner machinations in the Senate and stuff like that. And I love that here we use the the clones and this this question of basically, like, you know, veteran affairs and, like, what happens to these clone soldiers uh, as an impetus to see that story, which is so important, but also really to, to see more about what is the Senate doing in this imperial era, you know, when it is, how is it that 15 years later, there is still this belief that if plans about the Death Star went to the Senate, that it would mean something, you know, and the way that the Empire is having to play the political games that he is. It was just the clone story itself was amazing, but also the, way the clones were used to tell that story. It was just so good. Yeah, I liked seeing the return of the Senate and kind of how it's changed and shifted and how you can see mm-hmm. it slowly working its way to being disbanded because the moment the Senate does something it does like the Emperor doesn't like he rises out of the floor all dramatically to say this is what's happening arrest that guy even though I'm the one who told him to do it 
Make me look yeah. good. Also, clearly we can't trust the clones anymore, so stormtroopers now. Yeah, I think it's it's done. A, that was such a powerful scene when Palpatine rises from mm-hmm. the, the bowels of the Senate chamber, mm-hmm. uh, because we know as Star Wars fans that things don't end well for the clones. And yet when you watch these episodes, you're like, Rex and the Batch work so hard. Omega works so hard. And Ryo Chichi works so hard to try and make the best out of a really bad situation for the clones. And you want it to work out. You think that maybe some aspect of it will work. And maybe what we've seen in the future happen is just like a one-off or something. Um, But then, of course, Palpatine rises. And as what Palpatine does best is contingencies, is Mm -hmm. spinning words, spinning situations to work in his favor. And he does that again. I thought it was so chilling. And one of the best Palpatine moments, I think, in Star Wars. Yeah. And over the years in animation, we've had a number of people playing uh, Palpatine, giving the voice actor to it, including Tim Curry did a great run. Like a lot of people did great stuff. But the fact that they got Ian McDermott, the original voice, the person who plays him in uh, some fan, it, it's not, I think, the original, originalist voice, but the voice who's now on all the, the uh, existing copies and who has played him in the prequels, his voice and the level of gravitas and and menace that you hear in it, even though what he's saying is like, oh, good, we've caught this corruption. Let's stop this corruption. This corruption's wrong. But obviously using it to his benefit was just... It's one of the few times where I was so, so glad they got that exact right actor because I just don't think anyone else could have made that connection. Let me do a quick summary of the episodes. Uh, It's two episodes instead of one, so there's going to be a very quick summary. Um, A lot of details I'm going to miss, but just to kind of give you, for those who either haven't watched but want to know what's going on or who are listening to this a while later, maybe in your lead up to season three, which I'm sure we're going to be getting at some point. So... The episode starts with the, the first episode doesn't have the Bad Batch in it at all, uh, but it really works. It starts with two clones, uh, Slip and Cade, who I believe we had not met before, right? These are two new clones. Yeah, two but new clones. A, as they do so well, you, they're just on five. They're on screen for five seconds, and all of a sudden, they're your you know best buddies. And if they die, it's gonna be horrible. And of course, they are. Um, and they're talking about what's gonna happen next, and like their life after being soldiers, and how there's this p- discussion going on to decommission them and replace them entirely with the military. Uh, as well as they're talking about the destruction of Camino and kind of how they feel about that because they were both involved in that. And so we cut back and forth between them and a lot of political intrigue that's going on around this bill that would basically decommission the clones and, and begin a volunteer army uh, military, which is the, uh, the stormtroopers, as Palpatine says at the end. There's some Senate pushback and forth about this, and we get a couple of old favorites uh, leading the, the fight against this in the Senate, including Senator Churi, who was a frequent person who came up in the Clone, War, in the, in the Clone Wars TV show, uh, and Rebels, I believe, um, Senator Pamlo, who we have only, this is the first time I think we've seen her in animation. She was in Rogue One. She was the black senator with a beautiful like white thing over her head who spoke against the uh, the idea of attacking and thought the rebellion was doomed. She appears in this. Senator Bail Organa appears in this. There's political machinations back and forth. And Senator Churi, who we know has always been one of the people who's a leading voice for the clones themselves, kind of takes up their mantle and says, "Okay, well, whether or not we have a military, what's going to happen to these people? Is there going to be a pension? Is there going to be, you know, things for them to do? Um, And it's beautiful because so much of it's mirroring like the own questions about veterans in our own world. But with this added dimension of like these people are created just to be clones, just to be military. What happens to them next? Um, plotting happens. Senator Churi finds out more about the conspiracy. Uh, she meets up with Bail Organa, who tells her to follow the money, which if you are a fan of The Wire, as I am, uh, my inner Lester Freeman just went absolutely crazy about that moment. Uh, and eventually, uh, she meets up with, uh, Slip. Yeah, uh... Cade has already been killed early in the episode. She meets up with Slip, who's telling her about the possible conspiracy. Slip is killed, 
At some point, people might want to learn to meet inside when assassins are running around, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) And she meets up with Rex, who was going to help Slip. The two of them connect. It's it's a great cameo moment for Rex to appear. And they now know that they need to figure out, they need to find evidence of what happened, that Rampart led the destruction of Camino, that it wasn't just a terrible storm. And who do you call? You call the Ghostbusters, you call the A-Team, you call the Bad Batch. So that gets us to episode two. Episode two is the Bad Batch coming in and then working with Rex, working with Senator Churi, working with the senator from Camino, who's one of the last surviving members of her race, uh, to try and find the evidence to show that this wasn't a freak storm in Rampart, that this has all been a, a terrible plot. And, and they're trying to, as I guess is going to happen again and again, all the way up to Leif, finding the plans for the Death Star, to bring evidence to the Senate that will end things. And we'll be able to show, look, the emperor's corrupt. This is terrible. We need to go back to the real republic. Uh, adventure, adventure, adventure. They break on to the Venator, the uh, ship that Rampart's connecting, which I believe was Anakin's ship way back in the day. Am I correct there? The Venator? I think Venator is a class, very, uh, like a class of ship. It's yeah. just okay. like, yeah, the size. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Um, and so eventually they do uh, find the logs from his ship that show that it was Rampart who gave the orders. It was these ships who destroyed Camino. It wasn't a freak storm. And just at the moment when our heroes are like, aha, we got you. Look, this proves it. The emperor, as we said, rises up from the middle of the room, clearly was ready at a moment's notice, and is just immediately throwing Rampart under the bus, immediately saying, look, of course, this is never what I would want. Rampart was going rogue. He did this all on his own. Blame him. Oh, and by the way, this proves even more so that to deal with all these insurgents, to deal with all the problems, we need the Imperial military. Yeah. Did I I miss any big thing? I probably missed a ton, but does that give a, a pretty good summary? Yeah. Um, just one thing. Uh, I think it's, uh, Chuchi. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Chuchi. I call it Churi, I think. (laughs) Um, Um, one thing that I would just mention is once they, like Rex captures the clone assassin, he's wearing a mask. They take it off. They're like, oh my God, he's a clone. And they wait for him to come to, and they're kind of interrogating him. And he says like, you're on the wrong side of this. I'm just like doing what's right. And then he kind of bites something that like electrocutes him. So like a suicide pill kind of a thing. Right. And that was just like crazy to me. I was like, whoa, (laughs) these clones have been so like brainwashed and kind of like how we've talked about crosshair. Like they've been so abused that they believe like they have to do everything that they're told to do. Otherwise they'll be punished. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll be punished. And I, I think it goes even deeper than that. Of, I, I think you're totally right. It, it's the fear of punishment. And it's also, as we know, it's very common with like child soldiers or anyone who gets really sucked in. Like ex, ex-evangelicals talk about this a lot. When everything you've done is so based in this idea of this has to be true, the idea that it's wrong means you now have to question everything you've done. And that thought alone is just so horrifying that, yeah, people will just double down and double down and double down. And, and go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, when I watched this episode, um, I had two thoughts when they revealed that it was a clone. And then when he, um, you know, bit down and was electrocuted, um, it was, was this by choice or was he brainwashed? And I say this because in, in fan fiction, now I'm, I know that fan fiction is not canon, but I was thinking this way because there is a long standing um, kind of like storyline in a lot of fan fiction that goes in and tries to like, you know, um, suss out what exactly could happen in this situation. And one of those mm-hmm. is that um, clones could be what's called reconditioned, which mm-hmm. is have their entire selves like wiped and right. um, be made more uh, kind of susceptible to orders just naturally not even with the chip just naturally and it would just erase them completely and start fresh and what would happen if that took place here like immediately after order 66 if they started doing this to these clones and um like what would that look like and Mm. that's kind of what i was thinking at the time and i think that would be really interesting if they did go down that route to 
kind of explore what that looks like because the clones have no agency. They never have. Yeah. And um, what would the Empire try to do if they still wanted to get to get the most use out of their product? Uh, what lengths would they go to to try and do that? Yeah. I mean, certainly one thing we've talked about on this show and others is how the clones have developed this this humanity, this individuality in ways that was never intended in terms of taking names and expressing themselves through their haircuts and facial hair in good and sometimes bad ways, as uh, Danielle has pointed out in our recent TikToks. Um, but the fact that he, he this, this clone has no name, like we're never given a name, we're never given an identification number. He just says he's a believer. Um, so yeah, I, I think that could be an interesting idea. I think I prefer the idea of that it's not a literal brainwashing as much as it is just all those effects like because in some ways I feel like everything they've already gone through makes them so susceptible but in a way that gives them a little more agency but I think you're right I think that there could be a lot there's a lot of ways that could happen especially once the force gets involved yeah I think it's interesting that because Rex tells the batch that um, even his ID tag has been erased uh, mm. so the scan that they're, they're supposed to be able to scan to to see who it is, uh, Rex did that and there was nothing there. And so I think that is intriguing. I think that's probably what led me to be thinking along that path is that, okay, so this is intentionally done. This isn't like, yeah, he could have signed up for this. And then part of the process is clearing that. So no one knows who you are. Um, but all I think is like multiple different ways it could go. And I think that that's exciting. I I mean, he's quite literally been reset to factory basics, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, they're not supposed to have individuality at that point. So, yeah, yeah I can see that. Do either of you have a moment of wondering why it wasn't Crosshair? Like, I get for the story reasons because he's captured. We're not ready for that to happen. But it seems to me that if the if Rampart and these people are going to use an assassin, uh, a sniper, Crosshair would be the first choice. And I wonder if part of what you're talking about is because we know from some other stuff that Crosshair is starting to have some doubts and there was a thought that like Rampart doesn't trust him enough to do something like that. I think that's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like he might be the best in his field but Rampart doesn't trust him anymore because everyone around him keeps deserting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been... um, We've only had Crosshair for one episode but uh, even in that episode I think it's very clear that Rampart has questions about him. Uh, He won't let him go off on his own. Uh, he insists that he goes on with Cody. He won't even let him be like the lead of the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that, you know, Rampart's not stupid. He's he's evil. He's not yeah. stupid. He's power hungry, but he's not stupid. And I think that he probably had an idea that Crosshair knew more than he was letting on or that there's something else going on with him. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So we, we jumped into a great moment. Let's pull back a bit, though. So just in terms of the clones themselves, this is obviously a very – we're using the story of the clones to tell all these other stories, but it's obviously very focused on the clones themselves. Uh, and Danielle, as, as someone who – you know, a lot of your brand has been about caring about the clones and, and their histories and their futures, uh, their thirstworthiness and all the all the other kind of parts to it. Uh, what, what was kind of your take on getting to see these two episodes that specifically focus not just on individual clones but on like the rights of this group? It felt like reading really, really good fan fiction because that's all we've ever, that's the only place we've ever gotten it before. And it was surreal to be watching something that I've thought about for so long and that I know my friends have thought about for so long actually playing out in canon. And like, it's been highly suspected for ages, ever since we found out that, you know, the chips are what caused um, or, or what happened with the clones and not just their own free will right. to to do whatever they wanted um it's been highly suspected that something like what's happening in season two with the clones or that we saw in these last two episodes would happen but it's only ever been thought out in fan fiction before and in yeah. discussions between friends and so to actually see like such care be put into the story for that means a lot because uh, they're not just they're not just soldiers they're not just warriors they're actually people and that is not just a black and white thing there's going to be nuance in that it's going to be different ways that they react to being pushed out of the military different ways that they react to um, their chip maybe wearing off and then coming to a realization of everything they've done and I just love that that's being explored in such a good way yeah 
Yeah, it's been really powerful to see that. And I, I love what you're saying about the fan fiction. I, I have not delved too deeply into that part of the world, but certainly just those conversations I've had so many times. And frequently in those conversations, I know people are quoting fan fiction to me. So I've sort of gotten it by second level osmosis. And I just, again, loved how much it is. It's taking some of those questions. In the same way that I think The Clone Wars makes the prequels so much better, I think this is doing the same. Because yeah. I think one of the things that I, I can go back and forth on debating the prequels, that's not the point of this podcast, but like I've always thought that one of the things that the prequels did well, but also had problems with, was it introduced some very complex, nuanced topics and didn't really have the space to explore them. And I think one of those is. When you have people who are literal sentient beings, but also have been factory produced for the purpose of being a military, you know, what do you do with them when you don't need them as the military? Yeah. Uh, and also, what do you do with them when they stop being factory produced? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And start having their own individuality. And so the way this was able to explore that, it, to me, it again... I, there's all sorts of debates I know, and people want to yell about Kathleen Kennedy and things like that, which I think is ridiculous. But I'm see, I think I'm seeing more and more the idea that there is some intelligence and a, a felony type who is just really kind of looking at all these different threads. Because to me, none of this is as impactful if we hadn't seen that homeless veteran clone mm. for just five seconds on screen in Obi Wan Kenobi, the TV show. Mm. Because to me, knowing that that's coming, knowing that that we're having this debate over what's going to happen to the clones and knowing that a lot of them are going to end up homeless on the street, it just it, just, it all ties together so well and it makes it so poignant and so heartbreaking. I think also um, it opens up the conversation about choices and mm -hmm. what choices mean, like you said, when uh, – you have beings who were created for a very specific purpose and who weren't given the option to live life a different way. And if right. they tried to take that option, then it was seen as deserting, like we see with Cut Laquane in, um, in The Clone Wars. And Star Wars is, I think it is about hope, but it's also about choices. And it's about mm -hmm. how the choices we make can lead us down certain paths and they right. can also lead us back. And clones and choices is such an interesting conversation because what choices can they make that are truly for themselves when they've yeah. only ever been created for someone else's purpose? And um, I think that that is a nuanced discussion that doesn't get talked about a lot in like the general fandom, I think in the clone side of the fandom, this is all we talk about is yeah. what choices mean when it comes to clones. And uh, it's such an interesting thing to look at, and I think this season of The Bad Batch has done that so well, especially with Cody and Crosshair, because Crosshair brings up, or Cody brings up, um, that the difference between clones and droids is that they make their own decisions, that clones make their own decisions, and they have to live with those choices. But he doesn't know about the chips, presumably. He doesn't know right. that the things he did were forced on him, that those weren't his choices. And that the things some of his brothers have done since Order 66 weren't their choices. And you can't just look at choices and clones in a black and white way. It's like, what is influencing that choice? Is it truly their own choice? Or is it something that they've been conditioned to make? Yeah, I hadn't even processed that Cody wouldn't know about the chip. Like, of course he wouldn't. Yeah. But until you said that, I hadn't really processed it and so that makes what he said to crosshair so much more powerful because he believes that he completed order 66 on his own like right volition mm -hmm. and i love what you said there because i don't know how intentional this was and i wonder if you all made this connection as well but it seemed like they were they were dealing with something that I think is is has often been a like, well, we just don't question it. This is just an absolute. And I think they're proving it's not quite so absolute. What I mean there is they, a number of times people say some version of the phrase, I was just following orders. And that has become kind of an internet catchphrase uh, because it, it was something that was used by former Nazis or current Nazis at Nuremberg and other places like that. And... There was a rounding, uh, there was a resounding decision, which I think rightly so, of like, you, every person has a moral responsibility to refuse orders that are horrific and that are, you know, you know, 
you know, genocidal or, you know, other horrible things like that. And that to say that you were just following orders is not an excuse. And I think that's all very true. Mm-hmm. I also think that sometimes the situation is a lot more complicated than that simple, simple phrase can say, especially in cases where you've been trained all your life to follow orders without question, or you've been programmed in the case of some of the clones, or you've been taught to not question the orders, not because you think they're wrong, but because you believe that the people above you know more than you do, and so they actually are good orders to follow, even if you don't think they are. And I think what you're saying, uh, Danielle, about the agency of the clones makes it all the more real to me that that was intentional. You know, they wanted to sort of raise this idea of, okay, so was Rampart just following orders when he was told to destroy Camino, or did he have a more responsibility to say those orders are wrong? Mm-hmm. I think the showing is she was saying yes, he did have that more responsibility. But what about the clones? Yeah. Did Cody have more responsibility to say no? I'm not going to shoot Kenobi. Well, probably not because he couldn't because of the chip. But what about this assassin? What about like all the clones? You know, because to some extent, Slip and Cut are talking about. You know, they're the ones who pressed the button to destroy, you know, to, to fire the lasers to destroy Camino. What responsibility do they have? And I just, the fact that they were able to take such a hot button issue that's normally seen as so black and white and say, no, there's some nuance here. I, I just really loved it. I loved how it ties in all the stuff you're saying there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something I, I, like to, I like to think about because it is very complicated. And I don't want to say that you know, all clones are good because that dehumanizes them in itself. They're, they're human, they're individuals, they are capable of both good and bad things. Um, but I do think that I I do see that sometimes that people apply the same, the same, um, kind of expectations on their choices as they would Mm -hmm. say like Anakin or Ahsoka who, uh, haven't been conditioned the same way that the clones have, even though I would argue that Jedi are the closest to the clones when it comes to their experiences. Um, but it's just such an interesting conversation and I'm really glad that the bad batch is bringing it up and like forcing the wider fandom or the wider enjoyers of star Wars to really think about this. One of my favorite movies is a few good men. Uh, it's very dated by now, but it's about kind of this principle of like two people in the military who are ordered to do something that they think should be illegal and that they that they should have realized was illegal. And their defense is, no, we were following the orders, the people above us. And, and most of the story is about getting to prove that, yes, they were given the order. But forgive me, spoilers for a play that's 30 years old, a movie that's 30 years old. In the end of it. The people above them are punished, but so are they. And not in a major way, but they are still told, like, you should have known that this was an illegal order and that you should have refused it. And I think that's – that is a much more complicated and nuanced idea of, of, of where the agency and where the blame falls that I think would really apply to this. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason they phase out the clones because they keep questioning. Yeah. They keep – not wanting to follow orders the way they always were. It's like, how, how far can you push that limit even on someone that you've programmed to follow orders is the interesting right. part of that. Yeah. There's, um, this is reminding me of, I read like a fanfic comic a while ago that explored two clones, um, Slick and Tup, who Slick is the one in season one of the Clone Wars who kind of betrays his brothers because he sees that they're being used as slaves and -hmm. therefore he like kind of is giving the wrong orders to people like he blows up some stuff and he ends up getting a lot of his brothers killed but he's trying to make a statement of like this is wrong and so he's using his agency but it's coming out wrong and he gets punished for it and then Tup is the clone who was really following General Krell's orders the Jedi who tried to get all the clones to kill each other and then when he sees that Krell you know betrayed everyone he's the one who shoots him and executes him and then Tup is taken into prison and so the fanfic picks up with Slick and Tup are kind of like cellmates Mm -hmm. and then when Ahsoka leaves the Jedi she remembers Tup and kind of recognizes that like oh he was a good clone so she goes and like kind of frees the two of them And then the three of them just kind of go about and we see how much the choices they made affect them. And like Slick is having all these like nightmares and he's dealing with these demons because he did have agency and he used that 
and he did it in the wrong way. And I think that that's something we're kind of starting to see. Of course, they didn't really have agency, but, you know, with Camino, they did have agency. Like, at that time, I don't think at least that the chips were active in the same way that they were during Order 66. And so it's just kind of a similar thing of, like, dealing with what you've done, even if you could have not done it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it adds to this conversation because, okay, like, let's take Rex, because I see a lot of times, anytime I make a video about Rex in Order 66, a lot of people comment on it saying that, um, you know, Rex is the best clone because he fought the Order and no one else did. And I was like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with him being better than any of the other clones. It has to do with the fact mm-hmm. that he knew uh, about this mm-hmm. theory of the chips because Fives told him. And what's the difference between not knowing that this could happen and knowing that it was a possibility? Your brain is able to fight off a little bit more against, with reason, right. against uh, this, you know, brainwashing. And even that wasn't enough to keep him from slipping under the chip's control. And you take Ahsoka out of the equation and her insistence on saving Rex. Rex would have been in the same position as the rest of his brothers. He would have been in the same position as Cody, probably. I think he likely would have gone down a very similar path to Cody. Um, And similarly, you have Ahsoka managed to get the chip out of, like, Jesse. Same thing as with Rex. He would have fought with her. Mm -hmm. I truly believe he would have fought with her to get away. Uh, Any of those clones probably on that ship would have fought with her to get away, but it was unrealistic. Like she wasn't capable of doing that. And uh, I think that that gets lost in the conversation a lot too, is that if we view Rex as a hero because he was able to fight against the chip and then he was able to fight afterwards, what does that say about the rest of the clones who weren't able to get their chip out? Kind of. So I was already thinking, as we talked about this, that because we know Cody's on the run now and that presumably while I assume the story is going to follow the Bad Batch, Rex and Echo and their adventures were going to keep checking in on. And I already had this thought of like, how great would it be if they meet up with Cody? Mm -hmm. And now I really want to see the moment with Cody and Rex talking about what happened during Order 66, because I can see... Cody having all of that guilt and as well as Cody having that like oh my god if you could have resisted why couldn't I mm. and and Rex being able to be like no like I would have done the same it's just that Obi-Wan was up on a mountain and Ahsoka was right next to me that's the only difference between us you know yeah. but like yeah oh chills okay <laughs> one more conversation heart- we need to have that's a heartbreak that I really want to see like I know it's going to hurt my feelings really really bad <laughs> really bad but I want to see it anyways. I I mean, they were like two of our primary clones throughout the Clone Wars. And it ended so differently for the two of them. So, yeah, I really want to see them getting together and talking about that. And I also really want to see, I've said this before, but I want to see now that Echo and Rex are together, I want to see more reminiscing about the 501st or talking about their brothers that were lost. Yeah. Yeah, I think that could be so good. One of the things I noticed about the clones, and I'm wondering if maybe I missed this before, but we've talked about how, for the most part, they have been very careful not to use lethal damage against other clones, even like other troopers to some extent. When we, they can't really tell. They're always firing the stun weapons, even though, as we saw like in this scene once again, you know, their weapons are doing the circular stun thing. The people firing at them are just straight-ahead lasers. And then a couple of their brother clones get into, you know, starfighters to try and stop the venerator from taking off. And they just mark them out of the sky. Like, mm-hmm. those are two clones who are dead because of the Bad Batch. And I, I think they absolutely had to do it. But am I right? That's the first time they've straight up killed other clones, at least that we've seen. Like, it wasn't remarked on at all, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I'm wondering if that, if that struck you as noteworthy or was just like, okay, that's just fighting. That's what you have to do. No, I think they did that a lot throughout season one. Um, and then in the okay. first two episodes of this season, when Wrecker makes that, the the bomb or the, the big missile, uh, oh, ends up right. cleaning, okay. uh, killing a lot of the clones. Yeah. I think yeah, that they aren't at the, the difference between the batch and Rex and ultimately what leads to Echo's decision to leave is that even though the batch cares about the fact that their brothers are 
you know, caught up in this Mm -hmm. thing. They've never had a close connection to regs besides Echo, Rex and Cody. And, um, they've never had that like brotherly connection to anyone except for themselves. And whereas Rex and Echo and Cody had that connection to entire battalions and entire men who are still under the empire's control. And, um, I don't think it affects the batch as much as it affects Echo and Rex. And I think that's why we see them use stun a lot more when they're with Rex than with when they aren't. And I think that that is Rex's insistence that he doesn't oh, want to kill any of them. And which is interesting because who does he get that from? Ahsoka in season seven. Yeah. Rex is Rex would be willing to go and kill his brothers, but it would tear him apart inside afterwards. And Ahsoka knows this. <laughs> And it would tear her apart, too. And so she says, no, we're not going to kill them. It's not going to be done by our hands. If they die, it's going to be some other way. And uh, I think that that really hit home to Rex, that those are still his brothers and that they can be saved. Kids show. (laughs) Anyway, here's the show. Uh, Any other last things about the clones that you all wanted to, to touch on before we talk about some of the other parts of the episode? I'm, I, oh, go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of my notes was just, I we already talked about this, but I really need to see Cody again. I really yeah. need to see him fighting for his brothers alongside Rex and Echo. And I don't know if Rex's little outfit was new, but I was all about that. It was nice. He looked so <laughs> cute in his street clothes. I was like, ooh, look at him. Hello. I liked that he finally apparently realized that he can't be secretive and still have a poncho over his armor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So true. Although I thought it was interesting because the the way he appears kind of in shadow, I mean, I'm sure this has been commented on before, but his poncho, you know, it gives him the silhouette of a Jedi, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So at first I was like, wait. No, they can't be bringing Ahsoka in. Okay, it's Rex. That makes total sense. <laughs> um, going off of his fit, though, I, one thing I did notice is there were a significantly higher number of clones with facial hair yes. uh, this episode. And I, I don't know if it's because if that's supposed to be like a mark of the transition from the Republic to the Empire and that, you know, the Empire is not really as strict with the clones as maybe the Gar was. And mm-hmm. so they're loosened regulations a bit, or they just don't care to follow regulations a bit because they're so distraught over either what they've done or the uncertainty about their future now. And that manifests in facial hair. <laughs> but I right. really liked yeah. it. The beards were nice. Right. <laughs> it was. It was a nice thing. And also Slip and Cut had like, you know, naval uniforms instead of armor, mm-hmm. which I think... We've seen that before, but we haven't really seen it from character. Like most of the characters we've really talked with have been troopers, so that was also I thought pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does make we know that eventually Rex gets to like you know big Santa Claus beard. <laughs> I want to see some in the middle. Yeah. You know, I want to see when he's got <laughs> yeah. like some stubble, and then maybe he's got like you know six months of growth. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, noticed the facial hair as well, and the way I kind of took it was like I don't. Was it Cade? Cade had the beard, right? Yeah. Slip. Slip had the beard. Oh, Slip had the beard. Yeah. Oops. Okay. So Slip had the beard. (laughs) And I just took it as like, he is so distraught over what he has done that just like the normal things that'd be considered like self-care, like shaving your face and things like that. He just doesn't care. Like he's just so weary and upset that it's just like growing out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very true. It's very true. Let's talk a bit about the the politics. Again, I'm not going to make this into West Wing uh, Star Wars, but I just was so fascinated by it, getting to see more of the senatorial debates and how that was playing out, um, getting to see, as, as you said before, with Palpatine, like he has contingency upon contingency upon contingency. And also this thing that I think we talked about so in Andor, you know, People think you can climb these corporate ladders in these fascist systems, but the reality is if you screw up, you're going to be the one thrown under the bus, you know, and like we see that in our own world all the time. And just so the politics around that, the politics around all the the veterans affairs, basically stuff, um, the way without hitting you over the head with it, it was clearly mirroring and commenting on stuff in our own world. I absolutely loved. Yeah, I think it was especially commenting on the fact that like, why are you... um 
giving so much of yourself to the system that will never give it back to you. Um, yep. both for the clones. I think they're starting to realize that. And then also for Rampart, even though I hate him, uh, why are you, he's giving so much of himself so that he can get power in return. But at the end of the day, what's that power going to do for you when you're the one taking the blame for yeah. other people's responsibilities? And I really loved that they focused on that because it's, like I said, we've seen that a lot with the clones, but to see it towards someone who is getting something back for this, mm-hmm. getting power, getting, you know, the accolades, um, he's still no safer in the empire ultimately yeah. than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's such a good point with him and with like, I think we're st- going to see that with other people like in, in, in Andor and things like that. The other thing I thought that was really interesting about the way that all that played out was how, you know, going all the way back to Revenge of the uh, going all the way back to yeah, Revenge of the Sith, you know, there's that great speech where, where Padme says, this is how freedom dies to thunderous applause. And his whole point is like with the strong force of the empire instead of the weak republic, we will end the war. We will bring you security and safety. And now we're only like, 16 months into that like it's not like a huge amount of time has passed and already oh but there's insurgencies we need a military again i think here again it's a great commentary on anytime someone says like give me all this power and i will bring you security and safety the chance that they ever will actually say cool we're secured we're safe it's done is zero there's always going to be and like it's not that i even think that palpatine is causing these insurgencies intentionally I think he knows that if he's repressive, they will happen yeah. and that will help him. But it's, it's again, I think just this brilliantly, well, very well thought out point of this is the danger of looking to, you know, strong man government, fascist government to solve those problems is they'll never solve the problem because it actually help, it keeps them in power to have people afraid. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a... It's, a, it's an interesting, like you said, story to go alongside what we see in Andor because we have Luthen in Andor saying that they need these, um, these really horrible things to happen so that more people will rise up for the rebellion against the Empire. And then you have Palpatine who's like, we need these insurgencies to happen so that people will see why we need to be more fierce with our security and more fierce with our uh, our military. And it's kind of like, I don't want to say this two different sides of the same coin, but it kind of is. And it's yeah. it really speaks to Luthen's speech about how he has to make himself an awful person. He has to allow himself to be an awful person in order to strengthen the rebellion and he is essentially doing the same things that palpatine is doing yeah. for the opposite cause um and i just think it's a really a really good like parallel storytelling happening right now yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I think it's really true any other last comments about these two episodes uh kind of how you felt about them what you thought about them yes. before we wrap up yeah you can go first, Aaron. <laughs> okay. Um, I was ecstatic to see Ryo Chuchi again. She is one of my favorite Clone Wars characters. I want to cosplay her so bad. Um, her hairstyles have deterred me, though, because she's always... She's like Padme. She's always got this, like, fun hair going on, really cute outfits. But I just loved her. She's so... She's one of the most empathetic and caring senators that we've seen aside from, you know, Padme and Bail Organa. And I think we see in the Clone Wars, she comes to really understand and care for the clones. And I like that we see that continue into the Empire for her. And also one thing, in a lot of fan fiction, there's like Ryo Chuchi and Commander Fox paired together. (laughs) And the moment she showed up, I was like, where's Fox? When is Fox going to come? And then I remembered that's not canon. And I was like, come on. And then even when Rampart was getting arrested, I was like, is that Fox? Is that him? I searched for him. I was like, where's the antenna? Right. Right. Uh, But alas, we didn't get it. Mm -hmm. I love Ryo. Um, Again, so some people got spoiled for her because the Star Wars website put up a picture 
on their website of Rex, but it was one that had Ryo in it. And people were like, oh my gosh, is she going to be in this season? And I was like messaging the other person that I had watched the screeners with. And I was like, was this in any of the trailers? I didn't know where it was at first. And because I, because when I first saw it, I had no idea. I screamed when I saw her, I screamed when I watched the episodes, I was like, oh my God, Ryo, we haven't seen her since season five of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was like, no, it's not been anywhere. And so Star Wars had it up for like nine hours before they realized and they took it down. But um, <laughs> I was so excited to see her. And one of my favorite things about her, or her characterization in these two episodes, I think, is that uh, it's really easy to fall into uh, having a character want to be a voice for other people mm. or groups of people. And we see this in real life all the time where people want to be voices for the voice for the quote unquote voiceless, even though right. all of these marginalized groups have voices of their own, they have ideas of their own and they're perfectly capable of speaking for themselves. The clones are the same. And I really liked that they had her go to 79s and ask them what they wanted, ask them what their priorities were. And when she asked Rampart, what do you know of their needs and wants? Have you asked them? And he couldn't give her an answer. So she went and did it. And yeah. she is being a representation for them, not speaking for them. And that's an important difference. She's a representation for their own voices, their own needs, and not coming up with them on their own. And I thought that that was such a good way of characterizing her and not making it out to be like she's a savior of the clones. She just wants yeah. to work with them. That was such a good moment, and I'm so glad you pointed it out that way in terms of her wanting to be their voice, you know, but not speak for them, to hear what they wanted to say. Especially because there's one moment in that bar where she, you know, she asks them, what do they want? One of them says, I just want to be a trooper the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And you can see on her face that she has the reaction the audience has, which is, dear God, why do you want to keep fighting for this group that doesn't, you know, and there's this kind of paternalistic aspect of like, no, it's because you've been treated so badly that you want to fight. Of course, the last thing we should do is let you want that. And you kind of like, again, it's the animation, so it's probably all me projecting. But I, I felt like I could see that conflict on her face and then her just accepting my job is to understand what they want and speak to that. This is what they want. So I'm going to speak to that. And I just I, I so appreciated that from her that she didn't say, oh, you don't you shouldn't want to fight for these people or anything like that. She just she heard that she took it in because to me, that's what really listening to another group and what they need and want should be about. I would actually say that because it's animation that leads more credence to it being intentional. And I definitely, oh, yeah. definitely think that she was meant to be the reaction of the audience. Like what, what were you talking about? Why would you want this? And even if his, his want for that was because he is afraid of life after the war, doesn't know as many clones, doesn't know what he would do if he's not a soldier. Um, and doesn't want to have to figure that out. And even, even though that might be the case and Ryo probably thinks mm-hmm. that's the case, she still says, this isn't about what I want. This is about what, they want yeah and that yeah it's powerful there's a beautiful moment in the bar when the musical cue starts and it's at first just like the drums and then the rest of the music of like the clones you know it's very martial clone music mm-hmm. as they're all sort of like rallying together to be like yes we will join you in this fight and i had such a reaction of like i'm so touched but oh my god no stop being so martial go go have families go play jeopardy go do whatever you want to do put the guns down but no that's what they know it's like this is a fight we're fighting and it was it was just so perfectly done So I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, we're going to have a bonus content as always, especially because Danielle hasn't been on the earlier episodes. We're going to have to go through like the character journeys, different characters we've had so far in a brief little mini episode. Um, but for each of you, for those who are hearing you for the first time or just want to be able to get caught up, I'll start with you, Danielle. Uh, where else can people find you? Because obviously you're doing so much around Star Wars these days. Uh, if people who want to hear more about Written the Star Wars and Danielle and what you're doing on Think Geek, uh, Talk to us. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on TikTok at Written on the Star Wars. I'm on Instagram at Written in the SW. Usually I talk about Star Wars books on there. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, uh, DannyS394. I live tweet The Bad Batch and The Last of Us. And when The Mandalorian comes out, I'll be doing that as well. And then I also have a couple articles on um, Temple of Geek, their website. And uh, I've 
also have a Bad Batch podcast episode that's been released on there as well for the whole first awesome. half of the season. So, yeah. Definitely. I've read some of the articles. They're really good. Definitely check yes. all that out. I'll have links to all that in the show notes. Uh, meanwhile, I've been learning what all that goes into cosplay uh, for anybody who thought, yeah, I'll go to Home Depot, I'll buy some materials, go to a, a fabric store and have a cosplay made later that night. Erin uh, may have some different words for you. Erin, where can they find your uh, ongoing journey of artistic frustration and beauty? Oh, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can find me at Lady period Tano period creates both on TikTok and Instagram. I haven't moved to Twitter yet. I'm a little afraid of it, but I'll get there eventually. Um, but yeah, uh, I've been just crafting right now. I'm working on my second pair of Leku. It's taking so much longer than I thought it would. I had to learn how to sew and now I'm having to learn how to like sand things and I haven't even got to the painting yet, but you can come watch me struggle through that. Um, I also sometimes will do videos like with the star wars filters or just like some of my opinions i've taken some ideas from danielle before and done a few of those things (laughs) i tagged you don't worry (laughs) but yeah um if you want to see that see just kind of what events i'm doing also go ahead and give me a follow Definitely. Yeah. Please check out both of these amazing creators. And of course, we love the, the fact that you're supporting this podcast. Uh, the best way to show your support these days is on Patreon. If you go to Patreon, just a couple bucks a month will get you access to all the bonus content we're making. We'll thank you on air. Higher levels, you can access to merch. You can either help us plan an episode. Uh, and it's just a great way to help me keep the lights going, keep the lights on. You know, I want to get better sound equipment for you all. Uh, I want to do more of that kind of thing. Uh, Patreon's a great way to support us. Uh, and of course, more than anything, we love feedback. I love these getting to have these conversations, and I love getting to open them up to all of you. Uh, I have some uh, listener content that we're going to probably do a feedback episode next week or the week after. We've had a lot of great people write in. We'll be answering all that feedback on an episode upcoming soon. And you can find all the ways to contact you can find all the ways to contact us at theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find our Twitter, our tweet, our TikTok, all the different things. You'll find all the episodes I'm doing, both about on this podcast, on superhero ethics. We're doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, this group of three is actually going to record an episode on The Last of Us. I'm going to do a couple of Last of Us episodes. I have content I should put out about the, lo- uh, the Long Halloween, an animated Batman movie. If you've seen the uh, meme going around about Jensen Eccles playing Batman, he is playing Batman in that movie. He's the voice actor. He's really good. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, so yeah, check all that out. TheEthicalPanda.com, as well as check out all the great things my guests are doing. If you're sticking around for the Patreon, just hang around. And for everybody else, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks.